Welcome to Disney Versus, the podcast where we have animated discussions about animated movies. I'm Grace. I'm Tori, and this is episode two of our Disney Versus bracket. With us in studio is our producer Heather. Say hi, Heather. Hey. This week's matchups include Monsters Inc. versus The Good Dinosaur, Robin Hood versus Frozen, Atlantis: The Lost Empire versus Ratatouille, and Home on the Range versus Beauty and the Beast. You can see a breakdown of the bracket and future matchups on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Disneyverses. You can also follow us on Twitter at Disneyverses. And be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. So our first matchup this week, Monsters, Inc. versus The Good Dinosaur. Monsters, Inc. is about two monsters who work in, in Monsters Incorporated, which is basically an electricity company, and they harvest electricity by scaring small children. And a young girl gets out of her room and into the monster world, and these two monsters have to find a way to get her back home without anyone knowing, because children are seen as toxic in the monster world the good dinosaur is about a young dinosaur named arlo in a world where the meteor that killed the dinosaurs never hit the earth and arlo is a young dinosaur who loses his father early on and in dealing with the grief gets lost and it's about his journey back to his home I had never seen Good Dinosaur before, um, and I watched it back-to-back with Dinosaur. This was much better. I thought it was gorgeous, absolutely beautiful. I was really impressed by especially the water, like the rapids. And then Monsters, Inc. is just, it's it's one of my favorites. Let's look at the how we ranked these. So Monsters, Inc., Tori ranked 17, and I ranked 6. Good Dinosaur Toy ranked as 33, and I ranked as 64. So I ranked it last, but I'd never seen it before, so that's why it was so far low. That's Look, fair. Yeah, looking back on it, I feel like I feel like it'll be in the 30s. If you were to re-rank if it. If I were to re-rank 30s. it, I feel like it would be in the 30s, like as it stands right now. Yeah, I feel like that's pretty pretty close. There are a couple scenes that reminded me a lot of other movies, specifically when... Arlo captures the kid. It reminded me so much of How to Train Your Dragon, which is one of my favorite animated movies and is not Disney. Oh, I didn't get that. Yeah, right, though? Catches Toothless the first time. I yeah, didn't even get that. Go back and watch it, because really all that's missing is the music isn't as moving. But it's the same, like, the kid is fighting back, and then they have this eye connection moment, and it's there's a real conflict, and... Yeah, it it was pretty it was pretty intense. And then the other thing is the Lion King moment. Oh my gosh, I was not ready for that. I wasn't ready for it. Oh yeah, I completely just spoiled that in my synopsis too, didn't I? Huh. <laughs> we warned you. <laughs> I screamed. You can ask Tori. I got so mad whenever Yeah, whenever I was like Carlo's I... dad died. I was like, Are you kidding me? I, my notes I wrote Lion King moment was not okay. I remember when the Good Dinosaur trailer first came out, and I thought it was a really good idea because the whole trailer is what would happen if the asteroid that hit the that killed the dinosaurs never happened, and that was the whole trailer. And I thought it was a really good idea, and I was super excited about it. And then we didn't hear anything about it for a while, and then Inside Out happened, and then the whole Inside Out craze happened, and yeah. then the Good Dinosaur came out, and everyone's like, "This isn't Inside Out," and it was really sad. I kind of didn't realize this was Pixar. I, for the first dozen or so Pixar movies, I was so hardcore. I loved all of them. I had just, I was a really big fan. But this was one that I was like, oh, wow, that's a Pixar movie. I haven't seen it. And I I do think it lived up to the Pixar name. It's absolutely gorgeous. Um, It has a good story. I do wonder if it's because of it being released so close to Inside Out. I think that's what doomed it because everybody jumped on the Inside Out bandwagon and everybody forgot about Good Dinosaur. And when The Good Dinosaur came out, everybody was looking at The Good Dinosaur through the lenses of Inside Out and they said, this isn't Inside Out. And I guess maybe I'm looking too much into it, but maybe they were disappointed because it wasn't Inside Out or they were just, they weren't judging it subjectively. Yeah. I think that's what I'm getting at. 
they were released very close together. Um, Inside Out was released June 19th. And The Good Dinosaur was released November 25th um, of the same year, both in 2015. That's really, that's uncommon for Pixar to release something back to back. Yeah, Pixar's Pixar's MO is usually one movie a year. year. But I think now that, you know, Disney is blowing up thanks to the Marvel movies, they're doing more in a year. I mean, I take that back because Finding Dory is their only movie this year. Yeah, and I mean, we looked at it a little bit in the last episode, but they've been doing more. It's a little faster than every year now. Last year we got two, this year we'll get one. I think next year, well, no, we'll get two because the one that comes out in November that you're so excited about, is that Pixar? No, Moana is Disney Animation Studio. Okay. Let's uh, talk about first impressions for Monsters, Inc. First impressions, revisiting it, not first impressions the first time you saw it. I confess, I have not watched this really recently. I watched Monsters University about a month ago, but it's been it's been in the last six months that I've watched Monsters, Inc., but I did not watch it before recording. I love it. I've seen it many, many times. It's one of my favorites. I have Monsters, Inc. ranked as number six, and Tori has it as 17. Going back and looking through my rankings, I think it might move down a little bit, and I have... I have Finding Nemo ranked as number three and Monsters, Inc. as number six. To me, those are back-to-back. They are so close. So that could that could move around. I feel like by the end of this, we'll kind of redo our rankings, whatever we ended up with. For me, it would... It might move down. It's still top 20. So, like, it might move to 19, if it moves at all. Monsters, Inc. is probably top five Pixar for me. Yeah, it's a beautiful story. It's an original story. I love all of the monsters that they came up with. Um, I think it's a really beautiful and unique universe and a really relatable idea. All of us, when you're a kid, of course there's something hiding under your bed. There's something that scares you. There's something that you have in your mind. For me, I was terrified of Richard III um, when I was growing up because my dad is an English professor and we watched Richard the third when I was maybe six years old. And there's this scene where he sends an assassin to stab someone from underneath the bed. So I was terrified. Thanks Bernie. But it's a pretty common childhood fear to think that there's a monster under your bed. And this made them really likable and relatable. And they're as afraid of us as we are of them. It's a great way to capitalize on the monster under your bed idea. We've already kind of talked about the plot for uh, Monsters, Inc. a little bit. Let's get into the plot for The Good Dinosaur. I. It's another adventure story. It's another long journey. Yes, it's another... Long journey home. Long way home. What did you think of Spot as the a kid? kind of a plot device, sort of? I... He's kind of the catalyst of the whole story. Yeah, so I like him. I wasn't... Uh, one other thing that I I noticed in comparison to How to Train Your Dragon. The dragon in How to Train Your Dragon had very cat-like characteristics. And Spot in this, the child, had very dog-like characteristics. But they were really blatant. It's really on the nose. And I wasn't a big fan of that. I thought it worked in... And How to Train Your Dragon because they needed to find some character. There aren't dragons to observe, so they needed to give him some animalistic characteristics. A child's a child, and it is a human. And so I think they could have, although this child has grown up on his own in the wild and has learned some characteristics from animals, we didn't see any dogs. It's hard for me to think, well, that's where he learned those characteristics from. I did like him as a kind of character that helped the dinosaur really learn how to live on his own. I thought that was really interesting, especially considering the juxtaposition between we think of a three-year-old. Or, I mean, he's probably, what, like five? Five or six? How old do you yeah. think? I mean, yeah. he was small, Maybe. so it's hard to tell. No more than six. So a six-year-old, we think of them being scared of a lot more than a dinosaur would be. And dinosaurs are supposed to be these great feared creatures. So that contrast was really, I think it was very well played. It was it was really lovely. But 
Yeah. I think I'm going to have to fight you on this one because I liked how he was portrayed as a dog. Because without the dinosaurs being, you know, extinct, human interaction was going to go differently. Human interaction and human evolution was going to go differently anyway. And I think that's also why we didn't see any dogs. (laughs) But I think Spot's mannerisms as a dog were best used in like the comedic moments like when they woke up and yeah. he immediately goes to the bathroom <laughs> i loved that like really funny. yeah and then he just goes he cute, goes yeah. in like three spots mm-hmm. and i liked when um that snake comes out of nowhere and tries to attack arlo spot defends him like a dog so it works out well those those spots are what i liked the most what did you think of the score to both of these Except for the opening song, the super jazzy song, and If I Didn't Have You with uh-huh. John Goodman and Billy Crystal, and the opening theme when the monsters are kind of walking. Uh-huh. Uh, okay, now That's that I think point. about it, now that I sit and describe it, a lot of the cues stuck out to me. In Monsters, Inc.? In Monsters, Inc. In Monsters, Inc. Overall, I, I think I liked the Good Dinosaur score more. And it kind of worked with the environment and the, the, the feel they were going for with everything. Because it was the way that what they were going for, it was like a farm kind yeah. of country sense. And the music worked really well with that. So I think with The Good Dinosaur, you have this score that really supports the environment and really sets just kind of an emotional tone. And with Monsters, Inc., you have the score functioning in a different way almost like you would use it in a horror movie where the score is emphasizing like jump moments or the actions that are happening on screen are directly related to the music more i think it's used more for emphasis instead of just setting the tone i think is what i'm okay okay yeah i think i'm more of a mood guy <laughs> a mood guy <laughs> like that mood music yeah it may have just been, may have just been the guitar. It may have just been the guitar because it had that that good country guitar feel. Uh huh. Texas boy. Yeah. Tori is a good old Texas boy. Texas, I love Texas. Me Texas music. It's hard to say which score worked better for the movie because I was gonna say that you can take Monsters Inc.'s music and use it for anything, and a good example of that is when the monsters are entering the scare floor. And it's that, that the right, epic. it's kind of that the right stuff moment. Uh-huh. You can use that for anything. Then again, on the other side, you can take the music for the good dinosaur. Like when the sun's rising over, pick something that the sun rose over. Because there were so <laughs> many great sunrises in that movie. So much sky porn. Yes. So <laughs> much, so porn. much okay, nature porn in this animated mm-hmm. movie. I can see that being used for any kind of National Geographic documentary, and it would fit. But I guess as a matter of preference, I kind of got to go with The Good Dinosaur as a whole, as opposed to the parts that I liked for Monsters, Inc. I didn't like everything in Monsters, Inc.'s score. Uh, some of the cues, and for people who don't know what a cue is, in, a com- in the film composer world, cues are themes. Some of the, the themes in Monsters, Inc. weren't as memorable because I've obviously forgotten some of them. Gotcha. So which one did you like more? Which one moves on? Okay, I'll go first. Monsters, Please. Inc. moves on. <laughs> For me, I liked Good Dinosaur. This is not a movie I could sit in a room and watch all day. Monsters, Inc. I could watch over and over and over again. Good Dinosaur is a beautifully told story, but it's another big journey story. I feel like we've got a lot of those. Disney's very good at doing that. Monsters, Inc. moves on. I thought about it, and I cut out the silence. I sat there for a good <laughs> five, four or five Too minutes thinking long. about it. I think I'm going to have to go with Monsters, Inc. because Grace is right. I couldn't watch this all again? day long. I will not say that again. <laughs> I couldn't watch this all day long despite the fantastic animation this is probably one of pixar's best animated movies to date if you haven't seen good dinosaur watch it on a big screen watch it with good quality on a big screen 
with some good speakers. It's a very beautiful movie. So it deserves it deserves a good show. Anytime there's a sunrise or a sunrise with water, it was fantastic. But Monsters Inc. moves on for this one. It's good because it's it sounds really great with the music and it looks beautiful because of the animation. But what gets it is its plot, basically, because we we've seen it. I have to give an honorable mention to Sam Neill as the T Rex, like all three T Rexes. Oh, the T Rexes were, were probably. Really good, yeah. They were probably yeah, my were favorite part of either movie. <laughs> I want to see I want to see a spinoff with just the T-Rexes. And it probably is because we're from Texas. <laughs> probably. It probably yeah. is that. Tori and I both Sorry. grew up in Texas. All, all three Heather of us oh, grew and so did up Heather. in Texas. Sorry. Yep. Leaving Heather All out. three of us grew up in Texas. <laughs> Let's move on to Robin Hood versus Frozen. I'm excited about this one. So Robin Hood is just the story of an outlaw and a sidekick trying to take money from the rich in order to help the poor. It's a well-known story, and it's just told with a fox as Robin Hood and animals as all of the characters. Frozen is based on the Snow Queen, and in this story, the Snow Queen is Elsa, and she grows up with her sister Anna. Elsa discovers her powers at a young age, and after, you know, some accident, she grows up sheltered, and then after the loss of her parents, she grows up to be queen with no one to help her with her powers. And after a freakout at Coronation, she accidentally freezes the entire kingdom, and Frozen is about Anna's journey to save the kingdom and her sister. So I watched robin hood for the first time in a really long time and robin hood is one of my favorite disney classics i'm a really big fan of it it's got great music it's got great songs they're very catchy they get like stuck in yeah, your head great voice acting by that guy whose name i still don't know phil harris there you go we talked about him on the in first the aristocats episode. episode he was the voice of thomas o'malley and he's the voice of Little John and Baloo, who's basically Little John without the hoodie or without the hat and the shirt. Let's see where we ranked these. Frozen. I ranked Frozen as 26. Tori ranked it as 15, which I'm really surprised about. Heather has her own opinions. She ranked this dead last. So Robin Hood, Tori ranked as 46. I ranked as 29. Heather, I don't think you had a ranking for this one. Had you not seen it? Oh, no, I've seen it. I would probably rank it a three. In your tier three? So Out of third my tier. tier. Third, third tier. tier. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. It's a movie I would, like, fall asleep to because I like the music. Yeah. Hold on. Hold on. You guys, maybe I need to just sit and listen to the score again, but I gotta disagree on some of these songs. I mean, the whole, the, the first one. Robin John, walking through the forest, do not do not that that song and i think what is it called love when robin hood and maid marian go off behind that waterfall that's really it they don't go behind the waterfall and have coffee for those of you that have seen the cage (laughs) they like go to a like that's the camp that's where it is everybody's at that camp they just dance around so yeah they they, they just dance those are the only songs that i can think about but there's also there's good music aside from the songs like the fight music the running away music the whole fight scene after the tournament i disagree it's just not yeah, it's just not memorable for him i guess yeah. it's fine. okay let's jump into the music from frozen i'm a big fan do we have to yes yes we do <laughs> you can just let it go that's right i went there oh i hate you <laughs> as many times as i can i saw frozen i think i did see it more than once in theaters i love the song do you want to build a snowman I pretty much sang it nonstop for a solid month. Mm, you and everybody else. No, because everyone else was singing Let It Go, and I'm over here building a snowman. I liked it. I liked the story. I thought the whole troll plotline could have been left out, and I did not like their song. Nobody knows their song. Nobody knows their song, because it's not, it's not good. I remember seeing Frozen during a big ice storm during college, snowpocalypse yeah the the november it came out and i remember it was a big deal because it wasn't just in texas it was all over the u.s and everybody attributed it to frozen which was i guess it was good for publicity i remember driving in ice 
with friends to see Frozen oh and gosh. appreciating the irony. I enjoyed it a lot. I wasn't too high on it. I didn't look into much of the uh, the trailers or the marketing beforehand, and I just basically went in cold, and I, I liked it a lot. One of my favorite songs, or the song that I cringe the least, is Frozen Heart. Maybe because it's like a men's chorus. The coral? Oh, it's so beautiful. Frozen Heart, no, when they're chopping the ice. Oh. That song. And also the, also the, the choral song that opens it and then comes back later that i like that too the choral song at the very beginning is beautiful and i was taking choir for the first time when the movie came out and so that i think i had more of a connection to that um when it came out as far as plot goes both of these plots are kind of not so much all over the place but they could have been done better in my opinion looking at robin hood there's not a straight through line with the whole thing it was kind of set piece set piece set piece set piece it's like a bad action movie (laughs) but frozen was pretty convoluted because you have what's going on with elsa and then you have what's going on with anna and where two storylines are pretty easy to follow they were both pretty heavy i feel like elsa's Elsa's story wasn't... There wasn't all that much going on in hers because she was stuck in the castle. Oh, yeah. Not stuck. She intentionally left. I get what you're saying. The The stories of these two aren't as strong as they could be. I think Frozen had... I think Frozen dropped the ball somewhere. Um, somewhere in development, Frozen kind of lost its center. Probably where the trolls were or something. Yeah, I, I, the trolls don't need to be there. That's... That's fine. That's whatever. The first half of Frozen is really, really good. The second half of Frozen is kind of like, huh? And I also, I always forget that when I watch it because, and I I think the first several times I've seen it, probably a dozen times, the first several times I liked it, I saw it, I really liked it. And then afterwards, I was kind of like, this changes. Like, I only need to see the first half hour or so. I sort of disagree with the trolls i agree where some of the trolls need to be lost all the trolls don't need to be there i feel like the only trolls that you need are Kristoff's, like a main family that raised Kristoff, and then grandpappy because he's like the the archetype in archetypes he's the mystic that knows yeah. everything because grandpappy is the troll that they take elsa to in the beginning when anna gets hit in the face and then He's also the same person they take Anna to when she gets shot in the heart. He's the person that they need to explain how to get from point A to point B and then from point B to point C. I think I would have, I don't know, I just don't think they needed to be a whole bunch of trolls with a weird song. I think you could have streamlined the whole thing and just had a mystic, like some mystic in a cabin in the woods. Or like a Merlin. Yeah. How did you feel about... The villain in Frozen. Which one? I guess you're talking about Hans. Because yeah. I don't feel like Elsa's a villain. She's kind of an antagonist slash complex character. Yeah, I'm talking about Hans. What did you think of him? I honestly liked his turn. Because I thought, you know, it was going to be a by the number, A simple by the numbers. You got to get back to the castle so Hans can kiss Anna so she doesn't turn to ice i like that and then i i loved the turn when he's just trying to be king when it turns out he's he has his own motives i like that because it was it wasn't what i was expecting i will agree that it wasn't what i was expecting it seems sudden i think it seems so sudden because he didn't really get that much screen time it didn't bother me terribly i liked that the story strayed from them all partnering up at the end. I think it was a nice little girl power moment at the end, um, and I appreciated that. Uh, what did you think of Adina Menzel as the voice of Elsa? I don't really have any feelings about her as the speaking voice. I think she killed it as the singing voice. I think in the movie she killed it. It was disappointing that she couldn't replicate it in any performances afterwards. Specifically, was it the Oscars? It was the Oscars. Oh, it was so bad. And then there was something after that, too. She kind of redeemed herself. She went on um, Jimmy Fallon. 
and sang there, and that was better. She sang with the Roots. It hurt because it was so popular, and she was in the limelight because of it. That's a really difficult song to sing, and I don't know, maybe not quite in her range. She was definitely reaching. Wasn't the song written for her, maybe? Like, they had her in mind from the get-go. I think at this point we're just speculating, so... Yeah. <laughs> just... You gotta have some pipes to get that song. Don't mind us. Yeah, definitely. To do that. To voice all of that. Let's talk about the villain in Robin Hood. Prince John. Prince John. Man. I mean, there's no spine. There's no... Really, the snake is kind of leading the show, but he doesn't really have any balls either. You mean Ka? He's he's basically Ka from the Jungle Book. He's basically Ka, except not as cunning as Ka. That's it. He still has the hypno eyes. What happened there? I didn't think about that this time, but I think last time I saw Jungle Book, I was like, isn't this snake in something else? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I wonder if it's the same snake. Is it the same snake? It's not, but... Different names. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, he, and still, he's really, like, Ka is, like, conniving. Mm-hmm. Like, I think this snake is just fed up because his boss is a lunatic and pathetic. Pathetic is putting it nicely. His <laughs> name is his name is Sir Hiss, by the way, which is so inspired. Hiss. I love it. <laughs> Man, Tori's hating on Robin Hood. I know. We're we're trying to compare. We're comparing. Heather, what are your honest, brutal feelings about Frozen? Oh, Christ almighty. The trolls, honestly, I feel like they were, like, convenient. And, like, it was nice that that Frozen brought them in in the beginning with Kristoff to try to give them some sort of, like other reason to exist in this movie (laughs) at all other than that they were literally convenient and also when the whole internet like exploded over the fact that oh this is the first disney movie with like strong female roles okay that's fucking bullshit and you know it because there was mulan and there was jasmine hello she was like i'm not gonna marry a prince just because the law says so absolutely not we'll argue about jasmine later like yeah, she kind of stuck up to her dad, but then she immediately goes for Aladdin, so. She's still, yeah, she's still, like, immediately went for Aladdin, but the stubbornness of I'm not gonna do what the hierarchy or whatever, like, basically what the man wants me to, it's like, no, I'm gonna marry this freaking street rat that <laughs> probably smells bad, but whatever, he's pretty. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Feminist ideals. Anyway. I did like the fact that it was, like, a sisterly love thing. Like, that was pretty cool. Like, that kind of aspect was new. So that was... I was down for that. That was all right. The fact that they tried to, like, force Kristoff with Anna really bugged me. And that's where Fixer Upper came from. And I was like, you can have a Disney movie without random love in it, I'm saying. Yeah. (laughs) I think that's true. I also think you could have made their love story way more organic if you didn't have that song. Like, it would have been perfectly okay. Or just have a better song. Or just don't have that, because if it's not even about heterosexual love, whatever, you know, like, then don't even bring it up. You don't have to to make it interesting. The sisterly love thing literally could have just been, like, it. You couldn't have give Anna and Kristoff a song because Anna and Hans already had a song. Exactly. It's, it's breaking the rules. And, yeah, and I have no problem with Hans, that. So, Tori, the reason why it took you by surprise was because there was literally no leading up to the fact that Hans was the evil guy to begin with. He, he had a love song with her and like whatever and was like, I'm gonna go find her. And then it was that random just, oh, that's when the Disney writers were like, oh yeah, I guess we'll just make him the bad guy because Elsa's not going to be because actually this movie's about sisterly love now. So <laughs> like suddenly Hans was like, oh, Anna, if only anybody loved you. And it's like, the fuck? <laughs> like, it totally took everybody by surprise. Heather, I feel like you went into this movie really wanting to like it and then just being terribly disappointed. It, it it really took me like a couple of times seeing it to get to this level. That and the fact that everybody just ended up loving it and then like me hearing about it for literally the next year, I was done. Although I do like the sisterly love thing. That was pretty cool. And then um, the fact that they weren't afraid to kind of not necessarily like delve into um, like mental illnesses but they did. They also didn't dumb them down. Like with Elsa, yeah. 
Elsa was like super struggling, like, cause she's like, oh man, I need to not be around people because I'm dangerous and blah, blah, blah. And then Anna was like, oh my God, love me, please. <laughs> you know, so it was kind of like two sides of the coin in a sense. Yeah. Hang on, I'm going to defend Frozen for a second. Shocker. No. <laughs> I'm gonna, Hold on. Let me just say, Anna was desperate for someone to love her because number one, she had lost her parents at a young age. And on top of that, her sister hadn't talked to her since before her parents died that's what i'm saying like it's okay with frozen because they delved into the whole neglect aspect of anna and kind of like showed her she was entirely too cheery for having that much disappointment and neglect in her life so you know some people react differently to things but at the same time she like latched on to the guy the first guy that freaking blinked at her through that you know it was it was funny how they would like bring it up with Kristoff. you know they were like didn't you just meet him and she's like well yeah but love at first sight you know and that was kind of like disney making a jab at itself which was pretty funny but also kind of going into her dependency on other people's attention like she needed it because she hadn't had it all her life and then, I mean, if you want me to mention Robin Hood, since I've been, like, shitting all over Frozen, I fall asleep during Robin Hood all the time. Um, the voice acting is fantastic, but they're so soft-spoken that I just fall asleep. And um, the kind of, it's not necessarily, like, cut-and-paste plot that they do, but it's kind of choppy. It's hard to really articulate that. Yeah, I don't, and, like, I don't really have too terribly much to say about Robin Hood, because I've literally slept through it the past couple of times I've tried to watch it. So, Tori, who's your pick, Robin Hood or Frozen, to move on? My pick is Frozen. I enjoyed more things about Frozen. The plot, the twist at the end, subverting expectations and stereotypes of Disney. Disney just taking jabs at itself was more enjoyable than the literal cookie cutting of Robin Hood. <laughs> Yeah, I like Robin Hood for what it is, and I like it as a Disney classic, but I still vote for Frozen. Ha ha ha. Ew. So, Frozen moves on to the next round. Okay, so our next matchup is Atlantis the Lost Empire versus Ratatouille. Atlantis is the story of Milo Thatch, who is a linguist, and he joins with the team of um, explorers to find the lost city of Atlantis. Ratatouille is about a uh, rat who loves to cook and after a uh, accident gets separated from his family and ends up in Paris underneath the restaurant of his favorite chef and with the help of a struggling cook tries to become a great chef. What did what did you think Atlantis is one you really enjoy, right? I really, really, really like Atlantis. A thing that I like the most is the is the diversity of the cast and the marketing for this movie. They made a big deal about this was a uh, this is the first time there was a African American character who was I think a supporting character in a Disney movie. And not only was he a supporting character, he was a doctor, so it's a big deal. The cast is just so great. There are old people. There are young people. There's it's very diverse, yeah. The engineer is woman. is a woman of, I think she's Mexican descent. She's some kind of Hispanic. And it's just a great, it's a great adventure film. Tori rated Atlantis as 24. I rated it as 30. And then I rated Ratatouille as 62 uh, because I didn't remember seeing it. It turns out that I had seen it. Tori rated Ratatouille as nine. I watched Atlantis uh, maybe a week and a half ago or so, and I remembered really liking it. Bef- like when it came out, I I remember really enjoying it. I was not as big a fan this time, and was just really disappointed. And I did watch Atlantis. I think I watched it right after Ratatouille. I watched them back to back, and. Yeah, I, I was particularly disturbed by Lieutenant Sinclair's role, the woman who's kind of supporting this whole operation. There was no reason for her to be as sexualized as she was, and I thought it was really distracting. Especially, there there are a couple specific points 
particularly when she's waiting for Milo Thatch in his apartment after he's been fired. And she says, ho, 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 like Santa, but it's just, it, she's already very sexualized in that moment. And I was just like, wow, that's really, that's really uncomfortable. The story is by Joss Whedon. I didn't realize that until I got to the credits and I was, I was disappointed. I'm a huge Joss Whedon fan. Buffy to Angel to Firefly to the Avengers. And yeah, I was, I was really disappointed. It made me sad. I didn't really... Maybe because I'm a guy. I'm not going to go down that. But, uh... Well, okay, I'll say. I don't... I didn't really think she was too sexualized. I agree with the the, the ho-ho-ho. That was a really... That was really out of nowhere. She does kind of fill the Black Widow role in the group. Yeah. She's the number two. I mean, Rourke is obviously Nick Fury. Helga Sinclair is the Black Widow. I don't think it's that kind of operation, so I don't think it really makes a comparison to Marvel, personally. As an archetype. Yeah, okay, yeah. So let's talk about the plot of Atlantis. So, Milo Thatch gets fired from his job. His grandfather's old buddy, who is very rich, gets Milo to come on to this expedition to find Atlantis and bring some evidence back. Unbeknownst to Milo, they're trying to take everything they can from Atlantis. They're trying to steal all of its riches and find its power source and make a lot of money. Actually, they're just looking for the power source. Oh, okay. They're just looking for mm-hmm. their... Milo's looking for the Shepherd's Journal to find Atlantis. Everybody mm-hmm. else already knows about the Shepherd's Journal, and they just want the crystal. Yeah, and, like, there's that page missing. Right. In the journal that talks about the crystal, and like Milo mentions that he's like, it's like there's a page missing. That's so weird. You know? Yeah. So let's talk about the plot for Ratatouille. What were your first impressions of Ratatouille? I really liked it. I'm I love to cook, um, so cooking movies are already kind of in my wheelhouse. I thought it was really good, and I saw a comment, I think on IMDb about Anthony Bourdain really liked this movie because. It showed great attention to the detail to things in the kitchen, like specific like burns on forearms and very specific stains that occur on their uniforms. I thought that was a really cool endorsement. The animation was fine. It was it was pretty enough. It was Pixar. It was good. Um, I thought the story was pretty good. I thought at the end, so the idea is that this rat goes into the kitchen and um, he begins working with this kid who was just kind of thrown into the kitchen as a garbage boy. The rat starts teaching the, well, not teaching, he starts controlling the garbage boy to cook. And one of his soups is accidentally served to a customer and they love it and it becomes really famous. And so now this restaurant is renowned again. And so eventually the kid ends up taking over, he inherits the restaurant and they serve the most famous food critic in Paris, and he loves it. And at the end, it after after he loves it, they he wants to meet the chef, and so they show him the rat as the kind of puppet master. And I think at the end, the critic is really at, at first he was really stern and didn't like anything. It was just really terribly harsh and gaunt. And at the end, he's really laid back and relaxed and welcoming and just all in love with everyone that works in this restaurant. And I found that to be a little too unrealistic after how they portrayed him in the beginning of the movie. But I thought it was cute and nice, and I liked the story a lot. Ratatouille was one of the movies when I did my rankings that I was going through, I was going through. I completely forgot about it, so I had to redo my rankings. And it ends up so high on the list because I like cooking too. And I like the the theme behind it, the anyone can cook. And the quote that Anton Ego says, the food critic that Grace was talking about, he says that not everyone can become a great artist, but a great artist can come from anywhere. And it's really inspiring because he's a rat. He's not supposed to be he's not supposed to be able to cook. He's not supposed to have senses as good as he does. But, you know, he loves cooking and it's his passion. And it was really, it's really inspiring to, really, it should be inspiring to anybody that sees it. Like, people may not think 
you should be able to do something but don't let that stop you if it's your passion Mm -hmm. you know pursue it and yeah i don't you know be great i agree with with your sentiment i don't think that's what the quote means (laughs) but um that's what i got out of it that's what i got out of it no because i I mean not everyone can what what's the quote not everyone can create art but art can come from anywhere there's some things no 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 no. it's not everyone can be a great artist but a great artist can come from anywhere you can be great regardless of where you come from that's what i got out of it okay yeah Mm -hmm. that i do i do agree with that sentiment but i don't think it's as warm and fuzzy as follow your passion even if you might not be the best because that's not really what he's saying but yes I'll, i'll agree with that art art can come from anywhere Art, an artist can come from unexpected places. And that's where the whole rat cooking thing, I think, comes yeah. from. I think that's what Tori was trying to get at. Like, the fact that it's, like, unrealistic, but it's, I mean, it's also an animated movie. <laughs> Speaking of it being an animated movie, the food in this movie looks way too good. Like, I love oh looking right. at movies that porn. have great food in them. Yeah. I get so hungry watching this movie. Yes, yeah. it's <laughs> like this movie up. just makes me eat drool. All of it. Yeah. Let's talk about the plot of Ratatouille. Well, you never mind. Grace, you nailed it. Nailed down the plot. You didn't talk about Remy's family and how they play a big part of it. How they think that Remy should just be a rat. Yeah. Forget about the human world. Forget about cooking. Remy's family, Remy's the rat, they don't understand why he wants to go into the kitchen and they don't understand why he doesn't just want to eat all the trash that the rats do. And this is kind of similar to in Zootopia how, what's her face, the bunny, her parents don't understand Judy. Judy. They don't understand why she doesn't want to be a carrot farmer because they've always been carrot farmers and they live a nice, happy life. So why would she want to go do anything else? And I like that he does it anyway and he does it really well and he's the best whether he's a rat or a human or not or he's a rat controlling a human yeah he's still the best i thought that was a really a really cute aspect of it one of the major conflicts is that the guy that the rat is controlling falls in love with a woman who works in the kitchen who's also a chef she's a sous chef or no she isn't the sous chef but she works in the kitchen once he falls in love with her, he doesn't want the rat to be controlling him anymore, but he does. he's not a good cook. So Remy really turns against Linguini and starts letting his, his rat friends infest the kitchen, and that was really, that, that was heartbreaking. That was really disappointing to see, and in that moment of weakness that Remy just gave it all up and was completely willing to give up his friendship and also his career if you want to call it that let's talk about the side characters and villains of these two movies the villain in atlantis is straight up diabolical mercenary who he's just a he's kind of like a classic action hero villain that has he he knows what he he has a plan he's the man with the plan Mm -hmm. and then there's skinner in ratatouille who's just kind of a mess i i feel a little bad for skinner so the guy in Atlantis, his name is Commander Vork. And I think he's very well played. And also, it's not surprising at all that he has ulterior motives. But I think he's also... I feel like Commander Vork is someone who's very good at his job. I feel like Skinner... I don't feel like he's a bad guy. I think he's sold his soul a little bit. Like, he, he got a little greedy. But I don't think he's a bad guy. And there are rats in the kitchen. Like... That's not good. He's kind of justified. He, he's a little justified. It's framed as he wants the rats out of the kitchen because he's vengeful, because he, he wants vengeance for not having the company anymore. This restaurant was just a restaurant, but then the original chef had cooking shows and and had a frozen food section. Well, no, they had expanded into a frozen food section, I think, after the chef had died. And so I, I feel like he's justified in, in being pissed off, but he's still a dick. So I don't know. I think they, I think he's just trying to do his job, and they just make him look like a dick, because it's the way the it's the way the story's framed. Yeah. He's a dick because he's stopping a rat from becoming a chef. Yeah. Go figure. Rourke is 
a force to be reckoned with. And if it wasn't for, you know, him being overzealous and over over eager with the crystal, he probably would have gotten away with it. The side characters in Atlantis are I feel like they are fantastic and there isn't except for Cookie and Mrs uh I can't remember her name. Mrs. Packard is her name. Yeah. Except for Cookie and Mrs. Packard, they're all on the same level. I mean, Vinnie, Mole, Audrey, and Sweet, they all kind of have their, their moments. They each have equal moments. I mean, Sweet at the end is the first one to be like, I didn't sign up for this, and goes, yeah, mm-hmm. picks Milo's side. The side characters, I feel like, play more of a, a role in atlantis than in ratatouille because in ratatouille you just have linguini his brother colette that's really it i feel like because rourke is such a his dad dad, sort of since rourke is such a more diabolical villain it kind of tips the scale for me Mm -hmm. okay in the sense of in the sense of villains they're like i feel like greed plays a huge part in both of them because the like one of the things that drives Skinner is is the fact that he finds out that Linguini is the son of what's his face Gusto he's the son of Gusto yeah he's the son of Gusto and so at first before he knew he before he even knew about the rat he was like he can never find this will because then he'll take the restaurant and like talks about money and blah 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 you know kind of thing so I feel like greed is like the big driving factor of these two villains I don't know that's my two cents. What did y'all think about the score for these two? I remember, I honestly don't remember the music too much for either, but I do remember watching Ratatouille and calling out some, like, really fantastic flute work. Like, just crazy, crazy, ridiculously hard flute parts. Oh, yeah. Not easy stuff. <laughs> to give you a little background on our, on our music, I play clarinet, Tori plays tuba, and Heather, you play flute. Mm-hmm. Tori, what did you think? I loved the flute parts when uh, Remy is basically scurrying through Paris trying to figure out where he is before he finds out that he's in Paris. And I liked the the end credits because Michael Giacchino, who's the composer for Ratatouille, does amazing credits work. He also did the music for The Incredibles. But uh, James Newton Howard's score for Atlantis as a whole kind of takes that for me because the submarine scene when they're they're diving it's just so it's so grandiose and fanfaric and I I love fanfaric that part and I think as far as score goes I can't really remember the other parts of Ratatouille score outside of the, the fantastic flute parts and the end credits I'm going to have to go with Atlantis in the score department so I think we can uh, ask the question who moves on Atlantis or Ratatouille Grace? for me it's Ratatouille I had I had Atlantis ranked higher but I hadn't seen Ratatouille in a really 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 long time so yeah for me it's Ratatouille I think despite the diversity you know what no Despite the message of Ratatouille Nuh-uh. and being so highly ranked, I think I'm going to go with Atlantis. Atlantis. You'd rather watch that I like over the characters. and over? Yes, because I would find something probably new to look at, which we didn't get to. The artwork for Atlantis is gorgeous because it's one of those movies where they took CG for the background and put hand-drawn animation over it. Oh, I didn't know that. And you can either look at the characters and their intricacies or the backgrounds. Hmm. So, I think I'm going to go with Atlantis. Okay. So, we have a tie. Oh, Christ. Which means we have to activate Heather to pick yeah. a winner for us. Um, shit. Well, honestly... I am probably going to have to go with Atlantis too. <gasps> I know. <laughs> no! Mainly because 
the like kind of like what Tori was saying the art style is gorgeous they bring in a bunch of different languages they tie that in with um, the Atlanteans really well like the fact that they know French and they know Spanish and they know like all those kind of all those kinds of things so they kind of had they showed like diversity not only in people of color kind of thing but also in languages and stuff like that and they also had Kida who was another pretty freaking strong like you know female warrior character basic female also progressive character like she was kind of going against her father in the sense of hey let's try to learn more about the people above basically like above us through the people that are here character wise i feel like they had really they had really great development even though some of them were a little over sexualized um but the score was great the artwork was great i'm gonna have to go with atlantis so that means atlantis moves on to our next round for our last matchup this week we have home on the range against beauty and the beast oh my gosh home on the range is a story about three cows who go bounty hunting to save their farm that's in danger of being seized that's basically it beauty and the beast is about Belle, who lives in a village in france and becomes the prisoner of an enchanted prince in an enchanted castle and through the power of love breaks the spell that's been placed upon him okay so i'll go ahead and start on home on the range tori messaged me a couple days before i watched it and said good luck and basically we're trying not to talk about the movies too much with each other before we record that way we still have something to talk about but um he let me know that it was not very good and so i asked him to make some drinking rules for me some drinking game rules so the rules that he gave me anytime they say farm anytime a cow makes a joke or pun anytime someone says rico or slim and then finish your beer when grace sings off key oh god <laughs> first of all he knows that i am a fan of three rule drinking games um so he gave me a couple i think there was another one too he gave me two i gave you a couple to choose from yeah so we picked a couple really it was whichever ones i remembered at the time which ended up being anytime grace sings i did not finish my drink but i did drink anytime someone says rico or slim or i think anytime someone said something that made me uncomfortable i watched it with tyler and we were not completely sober when we started and got about 30 minutes into it and just couldn't anymore. So I actually finished Home of the Range over three different days. Um, I was only drinking for the first one. So I I was not a fan. It's another long journey movie. I was not a fan. I was caught off guard by some of the innuendo between the cows and the bulls and the steers. Oh, there's innuendo all over this And it movie. was really uncomfortable. Uh, yeah. Like, not funny adult humor. It was just really uncomfortable for me. I made this note. I like Judy Dench, and she's purple. <laughs> and then Tyler said, I like the piglets. So that kind of gives you an idea of where we were at when we started this. Also, why is Judy Dench in this? I feel like Judy Dench is kind of slumming it in this movie. She got conned. You have Judy Dench sitting in a recording booth with Roseanne Barr. It was the most disappointing thing. I completely forgot that Roseanne was the main cow in this. So when I heard her speak, it was a pain for me. I mean, what are you going to say about Beauty and the Beast? It's I ranked Beauty and the Beast as number eight. Tori ranked it as number three. Tori ranked Home on the Range as 64, and I ranked it as 42. Home on the Range has moved to 64 for me right now. And I think Beauty and the Beast has moved up from 8. I can't believe I put it that low to begin with. But I think it's it's definitely in the top 5. It's tough for me. But I think it beats Wally for me. It might... If I may... Go ahead. If I may just air out most of my grievances with Home on the Range. I feel like nothing in this movie worked. I already said about Roseanne and Judy Dench and how that's the oddest pairing and that pairing doesn't work. I can't even remember the horse's name that's voiced by Cuba Gooding Jr. I feel like somebody Buck? in the Buck. Thank you. His name is mm-hmm. Buck. 
I feel like somebody saw Shrek and thought, hey, let's get another one-lining, four-legged animal and put him in there for comic relief, and it didn't work. Alameda Slim is probably the worst villain ever. His song comes out of nowhere, and it's so terribly set up. I was halfway through, and I thought of a way to improve this movie. Even then, it was... It was frustrating. And the fact that Alan Menken did the music for this, same person who did the music for Beauty and the Beast. (laughs) And the guy who wrote the songs for this is the guy who wrote the songs for Tangled. Oh, and I I bet none of you knew that. I I bet none of you knew that. (laughs) This same pairing goes on to do Tangled. And it blows my mind that it's night and day, what's good and what's bad. Alameda Slim is this his name? So why yes. is he hurting the cows by yodeling? It's never explained. He just he has, I guess it's just market. a superpower that he has. So where? We don't know. They probably just end up like in a black hole somewhere. Who really, like, I don't know. But I know that he herds them away from the farmland so that he can get the land because suddenly the farmers don't have money because their cattle is all gone basically so no one really knows where the cows end up i guess but there's a really trippy yodeling acid trip (laughs) alameda slim controls the cow cows by yodeling so at one point the cows the three lady cows plug their ears so that they can't hear him yodeling and won't be seduced by his yodeling (laughs) yeah i don't i don't get it i don't understand the story i couldn't pay attention to it 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 no, it was just no. This was the worst plot ever. Okay, Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, I was about to say. <laughs> and it's even worse because it's paired up with Beauty and the Beast, which we're not going to sit here and rave about Beauty and the Beast. We also know that we'll be talking more about it in later episodes. Beauty and the Beast is great. It has great supporting characters. Lumiere and Cogsworth, who are great comic relief. You've got some really, really beautiful songs that really stand the the test of time. Tale as old as time. Compared to everything in Home on the Range, Gaston's song is amazing. (laughs) (laughs) And Gaston is... Probably my least favorite song. Gaston makes Alameda Slim look competent. He's a boob. (laughs) And LeFou is a boob. It's mind-boggling how they went in a span of less than 15 years disney went from beauty and the beast to home on the range this is usually the part where we think of something comparative to not something comparative a silver lining or a you know redeeming at quality least it had this yeah a redeeming quality i can't really think of any i mean i got I drunk mean, i rated it 64 <laughs> for a reason if you guys can think of something please comment watch the movie comment tell us what you liked maybe we'll feel better and we'll say something nice in memoriam (laughs) to home on the range but yeah we'll talk about beauty and the beast in the next round because i think that's our unanimous pick for it to move on yes moving on to the next round we have monsters inc frozen atlantis and beauty and the beast I'm guessing Grace is Grace didn't expect Atlantis to be moving. I on. really didn't because I wanted to. I anticipated that I would really enjoy it again, and I just didn't. I just didn't, and I really did enjoy Ratatouille, and it's also food. I had a little bit of hope that maybe the good dinosaur would move on because of the visuals alone, but after watching Monsters Inc. again, I said, "Man, this is really." There's a lot of heart it's in so Monsters good. Inc. I mean, we may be talking about when Sully sees Boo at the end as like a tearjerker moment. Uh-huh. I feel like Frozen will probably, depending on what it's paired against, I feel like it probably won't move on past the next round. Beauty and the Beast is whew, so good. We'll talk about it. We'll yeah. talk about it soon. Thanks for listening this week. For those Home on the Range fans out there, I'm sorry. And we want to hear from you. Because why? I want to hear a silver lining from someone about Home on the Range, aside from, man, those, like, drawing lines, they weren't crooked. <laughs> Shrug. <laughs> the animation is, yeah. in it wasn't even that good. Like, it wasn't even anything yeah. to... I mean, it's at the tail end of the hand-drawn animation boon that 
Disney had going, and then the movie right after was Chicken Little, which was CGI. If you truly are a fan of Home on the Range, please send us a message or something. Tell us we missed something. Next week, we'll be releasing our Halloween episode. We're going to be reviewing and discussing The Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah, we'll be talking about, you know, our favorite memories, anything and everything about The Nightmare Before Christmas. I'm really excited about that one. Grace is super excited. I'm excited. Heather's excited. Oh, yeah. Please follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Disney Versus, on Twitter at Disney Versus. It's Disney VS. Thanks, and uh, we'll uh, see you um, uh, next week. Um, 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 bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs>